This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Before we get stuck into the corridor, yes. because I'm so, so excited to so have you I. on. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to begin by introducing yourself and, and telling everyone who you are, what you do, oh um, what lands, what oh people are home you know, to you. Minute, if someone asks you how you're doing or you ask you to introduce yourself, you all of a sudden forget who you are. Yeah. Like, what's my name? <laughs> how old am I? Like, all that goes out the window. But anyways, <laughs> salam alaikum to those of you who don't know me, which is everyone. <laughs> um, my name is Mihad. I am 26. I'm old. Um... <laughs> And I am a person full of personality. Because I feel like we don't talk about Somalis enough in New Zealand. Or just even African people or black no, people enough in New Zealand. No, because and we just think we're the only ones that exist because we don't see anyone else, if that makes sense. Like, we don't see any other Africans. I mean, I did when I was at uni, but that was about it after I left them, like, with, with the community. I think that has a lot, well, for me anyways, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that my family isn't here. That's why I don't see a lot of Africans. But no, you're right, we actually don't talk about it often needs to be had. It's a conversation that needs to be had. Exactly. Where are the people? Exactly. If you, um, when you think of Somalia, like, what do you think of or what do you feel initially when, when the okay. word Somalia is mentioned? When Somalia is mentioned or when Somalis or both? Oh, either or okay. both, so yeah. So had you asked me this question, like, 15 years ago, if I would have said not a lot of great things. Mm. Does that mean, like, as, I feel like as I grew, as I get older um, and I get more involved in, in the culture and I learn more about Somalis and Somali Nemo, then, you know, obviously it gets more and more important to me. But when I was younger, I was like, Somalis? That was, was, was just a, a name to me. But honestly, I, I am so alhamdulillah that I'm Somali. Because being a Somali, I'm like, I can't imagine being in any other ethnicity. I can't imagine being a part of any other community, regardless of how chaotic we are. Because of how insane we are. <laughs> we are chaotic. Well, like... We are problematic. We are chaotic. We are everything good, but also everything bad. <laughs> if it, uh, yeah, but honestly, like, I love Somalis and I love Somali anymore. Um, there's a lot as a per- like, as a person that you can learn from Somali people, whether you're Somali or non-Somali. Um, and like me being where I am now, I have a lot to owe to Somali culture because I feel like it literally molded me into the person that I am. And like my culture, like my daughter is a big part of me. I can't imagine not wearing a, a party or like a dinner when I'm going to a, a wedding or I can, you know, like I can't, I can't imagine be like, oh my God, I'm going back home and not mean it Somalia or like Somaliland. Mm. You know, like, even though I wasn't born there. That was going to be home to me. I don't call Qatar home. Like you'll never hear me saying I'm going to go back home, and it, and me meaning Qatar. Like I wasn't born and raised in Hargeisa, but that's always going to be home to me. I feel like we just dropped a lot of Somali words, and there'll be oh. lots of non-Somali people listening, <laughs> and they'll be like, what, 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 what okay, do these words so mean? For people that don't know much about Somalia or Somaliland, um, so obviously like Somalia is a lot more well known than, than Somaliland. So I'm from the north of Somalia which broke away in the Civil War in the 80s, 1980s something? 90s? No, I think it was 1988. Somalia, which is the south, and Somaliland, which is the north, broke off. And I'm originally from Somaliland, which is the north, and the capital city is Hargeisa. Um, fantastic. I'm very pleased. Um, and Abati is, uh, it's not a dressing gown, but it can be a dressing gown. It can be PJs, but it can also be a formal, a formal outfit. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, we've got two versions of it. You, you would never see someone wearing Abati, this one, at a wedding. Because you know it's meant for stay home. Mm, but you'd, you'd see them wearing a dira. No, you would not see someone wearing a dira at home. Because that's no. for parties. Yes, or like exactly. Events. So we've got two different versions of the same thing. 
It's just like a huge bit of fabric with like <laughs> holes, holes for your arms. <laughs> yeah. that, love to, that love the door handles. I don't know why they get stuck on the door handles. Um, but yeah, they're just very vibrant fabric and it's just what a Somali woman is. Technically what a Somali woman is meant to look like. Yeah. So before you were mentioning Qadr and so oh. I'm really curious if you could explain to us like all the different places that you've lived and oh. when was the last time you went home as well. Okay, okay so let's go all the way back to... 100 years ago when I was born. Um, <laughs> I was born in Qadar, aka Qatar, in the Middle East. Um, and then we lived there until I was seven. And so just before my eighth birthday, we moved to New Zealand. Eighth birthday? Am I getting, I don't know. Just before my eighth birthday, we moved to New Zealand, which was 2004. Do you know why your parents were like, okay, let's pack up off to Funny New story. Zealand? My parents fell in love with New Zealand from anchor ads. My parents <laughs> did not have any family here. They had no friends. <laughs> Because you know, like the Middle East is very dry, so there's no <laughs> yeah. green. So they, and then they always like as kids we drank a lot of obviously a lot of milk and like a lot of anchor milk. And so like we used to get these tins and it had like the news like it had like hills with like a lot of grass and cows Sheep. and pretty flowers. <laughs> and my parents were just like, if that place is real, then we must go live there. <laughs> Well, like, people do not believe me when I tell them that's the reason I moved to New Zealand. <laughs> and, um, so my dad had a brother living in Australia at that, at that time, in Melbourne. So he told him, you go to New Zealand and you get my family ready for a house because they're coming to New Zealand. So he left Australia to like, pretty much get us settled in New Zealand and then moved oh, back. Please. So that's how we actually, that's how I know of New Zealand. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh you know, like Somalis tend to move to places where they have family. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You need that sense of community. Yeah, they, they go to places where there's family, where there's friends that they've known for years. They're not just going to up and, they're not just going to pack and up and leave and go to somewhere where there's, it's completely foreign to them. That was my parents. They were just ready to do it. But alhamdulillah, I'm so glad they did because coming to New Zealand at that age, after having to leave like Qatar, it was like one, an absolute culture shock. It must have been the two wildly different places in every oh, sense. Oh, absolutely! Like seeing, not hearing the um the the call of prayer yes, was like so foreign. Going to school on a Friday was so foreign. Sorry, folks, if the audio is a bit disjointed, we had an interruption from a <laughs> delivery person. An hour um, and a half late. <laughs> Um, but as you were saying, you came to New Zealand and Alhamdulillah, you moved to New Zealand. But it was a huge culture shock in yeah. every sense. Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing that we, like me and my siblings, had trouble adapting to was the fact that like not everyone was a Muslim because we were just used mm, to oh, that. True. And I know it sounds crazy, but we weren't exposed like at school, like talks with my parents. We didn't know people could be any other religions. That's so, so it was true. so bizarre, like having to learn. Like my friends go to different churches, or like they go to a temple, and like we were going to like a masjid or a mosque. Um, that I remember that was one of the crazy, most bizarre things. I'm like, what do you mean everyone's not the same? <laughs> you we're not all the same. And also the weather was the weather was another story. Mm. We came in the middle of winter, <gasps> oh. just as winter started, and we used to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Three layers of socks. Double track pants, pants were layered up, hoodies, and like we'll like roll ourselves up in 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 in, in our blankets and duvets, and it was still cold. Oh, you we poor things! The earthquake. <clears throat> oh, Do you know me that also must have been terrifying. Looking back, <laughs> it was a lot to deal with. Yes, as a, a lot. Kid. As an eight-year-old moving to a new country, that's a lot to deal was with. A lot, but alhamdulillah, like we we adjusted so quickly. Like we picked up on language immediately and like completely within a year forgot about Arabic. The only reason why we were able to continue Somali was because 
our parents would speak Somali to us. But like Arabic went out the window and then in came English. Um, yeah, but there was just, I think for like eight year old, like eight, nine, ten year olds, which was what, how old me and my siblings were. And when my younger sister was only, my younger sister was only three. And then one was just born. My youngest brother wow. was just born. And then the other one was a year old. So it was just like, we were all under 10, like 10 and under, yeah. all six of us. So it was like a lot. It was a lot to adjust to. Because I remember like certain things would like stand out to me. I remember being so afraid of going to school because Aww. of how different I looked. And then I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't speak the language. And I knew that immediately like I stood out. And going to school in Nana at that time, like, yes, there were like brown people, but we were like the only evidently black people there. Isn't that so funny? Because I feel like from uh, like a Pakeha point of view, and I'm not generalizing yeah, here, yeah. but just from my like experiences, I just know that there are some Pakeha people out there who just see us as all one homogenous community because we all have the similar skin tone and we're just all the same homogenous oh, community. Oh, you mean like Africans and Africans, like Islanders. you know, Islanders. Really? You know, our brothers and sisters from India. That, I, oh, I got yeah. that all the time. I, like, I you brown people are all the same. Indian a lot. Even till today, I still get mistaken for an Indian. I'm like, you can clearly see, like, I'm an African person. So it was, like, really good, like, going to um, the first time I went to the mosque um, and, like, having to meet a lot of people. Some of them turned out to be my cousins that I didn't even know I had. Um, and then, you know, like, I think once we started getting more and more involved in the community and getting more comfortable at school, then the language became easier to learn. And so we, like, immediately picked up on that. And we, before you knew it, we were just like, Kiwi, we like Qatar, what? Where's Qatar? You know, like we just literally just became Kiwis immediately. But then saying that, like, we didn't lose our identity because my mum was really, really, really big on never letting us forget where we were from. Mm. She's like, you can forget English, you can forget how to speak Arabic, but you will never forget how to speak Somali. So we weren't allowed to speak English at home for, like, ages. Wow. Me and my older brother weren't. That's how us two are the only ones that can fluently speak Somali. That's so interesting. It was, like, the kind of, like, the complete opposite in my house. I think Abunhoi was so worried that we would fall behind in school. You cannot be in this house and speak English. Not in front of me. Just like, obviously practice, you know, like, do your homework and whatnot. But if you're going to talk to me, you're going to speak Somali and Somali only. So me and Hamid were always yelled at if we spoke English. I don't know if he remembers this. Still today, I, always, I still remember, uh, one day if he remembers the fact that, like, Hoy would yell at us. Like, my mom would yell at us for speaking English at home and was, like, specifically to stick to, stick to Somali. And But I'm really grateful. Like, because had she not done that, then I wouldn't know the language. I look at my siblings and I'm like, how do we live in the same house and you guys don't speak what, the same way we do? You know? Yeah, my Afsomali is so but bad. But the thing is... But at least I can understand it. My young siblings, they do not understand. And so sometimes Hoi and Abu will say something, and then Hoi will look to me and be like, <laughs> can you please explain this to these to these that's children? My two little brothers, well, they're babies to me, but, you know, they're 18 and 19. But that's them now. Like, they'll be talking to my parents, and halfway through, my parents will just be like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Can you, can you translate? <laughs> Imagine you're, like, translating for your own family members at home. Because there's a language barrier. That's another thing that I wonder if other cultures go through. Like people of like other ethnicities um, deal with. Because when I come across like an Indian person or someone who's Chinese or someone, they seem to speak both their native language and English equally as good. I've, I don't, I've never met a Somali person or a lot of Somali people that can do that. Some people either fully speak English and barely any Somali or really good yeah, in Somali <laughs> or like barely any English. So I'm like, I wonder how people always find that balance. Oh, it's really awesome that you've brought up language actually because I think for such a long time I was really hesitant you know even though obviously I am, I am a Somali person but I think what's really held me back from fully owning that is just because I actually don't know the language that well and I know for a fact and you <laughs> affirmed it tonight that if I were to go back home oh, with this level yeah. of, of Somali that I have now it would just 
I definitely would be called out for it and teased for it in a way where I'm By like, strangers. it would question. Not even your family members. <sighs> strangers. The audacity <laughs> for someone walking down the street. If they hear, you know, crazy story. One time me and my sister were on the bus, right? <laughs> and we were speaking English, but we were whispering. And the two ladies behind us, because at the minute they hear you speaking anything but Somali, they automatically assume you don't speak Somali or you don't understand Somali. But there were two grown as one behind us on the bus. And they were like, in Somali, which is so much, so much more hurtful than it is in English. Mm. They're like, these two idiots don't know how to speak their own language. And like me and my sister just looked at each other. We're like, we tur I, I turned back to them and I was like, I can actually understand exactly what you're saying. And then they were like, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm um, I didn't mean that. And I'm like, no, you, <laughs> you meant to yeah. just own up. But they will, they don't care whether they know you or they don't know you. Somali people will call you out. They have no boundaries. They have no filter and they have no shame. <laughs> They don't care. But yeah, it's it's very scary having to go back home, whether you're an adult or a young person, um, if you don't know the language, because they will make you feel bad for it. And I think they should be doing the opposite. If anything, if they heard that you're not good or you're not fluent, they should do everything in their power to try to make you feel comfortable and teach you. Because I think it's important to know your, your native tongue, you know? But instead, they will bully you, and that makes you want to disconnect from Somali people and like Somali anymore as, as a whole. And I'm like, well, you can't be upset at people for doing that when you're the reason and you push them out. You know, like Somali... Somali people understanding, they don't have a good relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do, I do, I love our people. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. But I think we're also in a place that we can say whatever we want about our people at the same time. Absolutely. And like, I feel like, especially when you are a migrant person and you talk about the motherland, it has to like always be in this, in the highest regard. But like sometimes oh. I think, or I don't know, I've maybe this is me, but I've always kind of felt that pressure. And I think the reason why I feel that pressure is that Maybe because in New Zealand, people already have such a negative view. Like, I, I never want to say anything that affirms that. Then they think that has also held me back from just, like, honestly talking about things. Because, no, not everything is going to be all good. But, like, like for example, if I ever took my hijab off, you know, there'd be so many people who, who would say, oh, well, well, she was oppressed anyway. Like, good for her. She's finally living life on her own terms. Blah, blah, blah. And, like, not, I mean, if I even wanted to take off my hijab, I'm That's not going to not point. take it off because of that because I need yeah. to live my own life. But exactly. that definitely would be at the back of my mind. And I think it's that kind of pressure where I'm like, I can't ever talk talk bad that's crazy i i that's crazy the, <laughs> the whole hijab taking off your hijab when my family first moved to melbourne my co-workers came up to me and were like oh now that your family's gone you can take off your hijab right and no I was way like, i swear to god that is the first thing with three of my colleagues said to me oh you see people do think like that then. and i was like you know i and my family you know i dress however i want my parents have always been okay with me wearing a hijab or we're not wearing a hijab it's always been like that from my young age, we were allowed to wear pants. Like, a lot of things that a lot of my girls that we were friends with, or, like, even our cousins weren't allowed to do, we were doing. Like, we were allowed to do. So our parents have, alhamdulillah, always been very understanding. They don't really care what other people say about them. So I told them, I was trying to make them understand. I'm like, listen, I don't wear a hijab because my family tell me to, or I'm scared of my family. I literally wear it because I want to. And there's times where I feel comfortable wearing the hijab, and there's times where I don't want to wear the hijab. That's why I flip-flop. <laughs> I love having that option. And they were like, oh, okay, well, how come every time you come to work and you're wearing it? Why don't you even let us see your hair? <laughs> why? I'm like, why are we talking about this? It's, it's, it's not your place. <laughs> but the fact that they honestly, the, I don't know how long after my family left it was, but they came up to me immediately and were like, so are you going to take it off or what? Oh and that gosh. made me feel so so uncomfortable so uncomfortable because they have this idea that you know like i can't make a single move without my family 
I can't think for myself because it's my family that do thinking for me. I'm like, that's not how it works. That is not, I don't know where you get this idea from, but that is not the truth. We're very much free people. And you know, some people can be a little on the religious side, but that's not all of us. Exactly. You know? And but I feel like they see one person, like one family, and they just assume everyone else is like that in the community. And I'm just like, oh, nobody, nobody blames one person in the Christian church or any Christian church for the mistake of others. Like, I don't know how this is, I don't know how this is working. People are very fascinating. That I've just stopped, I stopped caring a long time ago, man. A very long time ago. I'm just like, I'm going to do, I'm going to live my life. Because at the end of the day, when I die, it's only me who has to answer to God and not me and everyone else. I'm like, why do I, why should I care? That is true. So I live it is very, very true. To live. And that's why I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's why a lot of people are not happy. They're miserable. <laughs> but yeah, it's just I've had so many uncomfortable conversations with people that, about my religion, about my race. I'm oh, I'm, I'm sorry too because what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Siri um, just she's so in. rude. She's so rude. Yeah, I've had so many uncomfortable conversations that I didn't want to have. That I never initiated. I never went to the to this person or to these people and started these conversations. I'm like, I don't know why you feel, why you think it's okay to come up to me and talk to me about these things, knowing I never gave you the green light. Okay. If you don't mind, if you don't mind sharing, are there some conversations that are coming to mind that you're like, oh yeah, that was definitely some. uncomfortable. Some. <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> Till now. Now, me being at this big age and wearing my hijab when I want to wear my hijab and wearing it when I don't want to wear it, my colleague asked me the other day, <laughs> Asked me the other day Aww. why my parents haven't arranged a marriage for me. Oh my god. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, but isn't that what you people do? You people? Wallahi, I swear to God. She's like, isn't that, isn't that in your culture? Isn't that what you guys do? I'm like, what? No, we don't. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, but everyone else who's, you know... I was like, everyone else who's what? Yeah, so like brown or black. She's she's a white she's a she's a white woman in her fifties. Okay, who's got all these backward ass views and ideas. But she was literally just asking, she's like, I'm so surprised that your family haven't tried to force you into marriage or you're not married or you don't have any sort of arrangement. I was like, No, none of that, none of that is what we do. So I don't know where you got this idea from. She's like, you know, it's just it's a Muslim thing. I was like, No, it's not. It's not a Muslim thing. And that's why people get confused. Certain cultures might do things a certain way, and they may be Muslims. And I think that's all people pick up from, is just hearing the fact that they're Muslim, not where they're from or what culture it is. So I think there's just this one assumption that all Muslim people live their life the exact same way. And that's actually so incorrect. Because we're so diverse. There's Muslims of every colour, on every face of this earth. There's Muslims of every ethnicity, religion, oh not religion, every ethnicity, every culture, every colour. So I'm like, I don't know why you're assuming. Just, I hate assumptions. And people still think that I grew up in a war-torn country. And I'm like, I've never seen a gun in my day in my life. <laughs> and he's, I hate talking about this, but you know when the, when the March 15 shootings happened? Mm. That was such a, I don't know what that was like for you. That was such a weird time for me. For like a good three months, people would try, I guess, I guess they were coming from a good place. Because like, you know, they were trying to make me feel comfortable, but they were doing the opposite. I had strangers hugging me. People I didn't know. Again, I was working at New World, you know, very, very public. Oh, there's a yeah, very public facing in and out a whole, in, in a day. So I was like, you know, just seeing so many different people. But I'd like be on stuff checkout, and then I'd have I'd just randomly feel someone hugging me from from behind, and automatically assuming that it's just one of my colleagues that I'm friends with or someone that I know that's just passing through, and it's just a completely random person. Oh, and I hate to say this, but it was always a way. Mm. And they were like, I'm so glad you're here now where you're safe. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you, it was just a shooting here. Where, what do you mean safe, you know? They're like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Like, this didn't happen to me. It happened to my community, but not me personally. So I don't know why you're apologizing. This is making me very uncomfortable. I had people waiting for me outside to try to be like, do you want to write home after work? Do you need anything? And I'm like, no, I don't know you. Please stop bothering me. But I know me like, 
like I said, they were coming from a good place, but it was just, it was really, it was such a weird, weird time for me. It was so, so weird. I, 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 I will never forget that. Yeah, yeah, actually, that, that did happen to me a lot afterwards. And like, when it came from people that I knew, I was like, that's fine, thank you. That's though. very, I'm very appreciative it. of it. I loved but it. But when it was strangers, I think the reason why it made, did make me feel really uncomfortable, because at first I was like, A, there really is nothing that you have to apologize for because thank you you weren't involved in what happened but also b would you bring the same energy to talk about the conversations that actually really need to be had because no. it's not like the Christchurch terrorist attack just came out of nowhere mm -mm. like we live in a country where some like people are allowed to hold views like that and as a society no we don't have a zero to yeah. tolerance to that are we like are you sorry enough to have those kind of conversations? I feel like New Zealand says they have zero tolerance for those kind of talks or like ways of thinking or behaviour, but nobody does anything to try to prevent this kind of things from, you know, being out in the public or they don't do anything about it. So I'm just like, obviously nobody's, nobody is ready to have that conversation. They just want to apologise and I don't know what the hell they're apologising for. They just want to apologise and have a little five second feel good moment and then just get on with their lives. I'm like, okay, well some of us have to actually live in fear because I was scared to leave the house for a long time. Well, like that that missed me out for ages. Like me and my friends were like constantly be texting each other. Did you guys get home okay? We'll make sure like we like leave uni together. And if anyone was driving, we'll make sure that we watch the person actually get in the house. And you know, like constantly texting, how was your day? How are you feeling today? Do you need anything? Like obviously, like me and like my Muslim friends were like all there for each other. And alhamdulillah, like our non-Muslim friends were also there for us. And that that was great. But outside of that, anyone that spoke to me about it, it just made me feel uncomfortable because well, I don't know. What, what they were trying to have a conversation about. You know and what you I mean? Know, that's I don't very know. valid. I don't know what they wanted to talk about. So I'm like, what's what's the outcome of this going to be? It's, you know, it's obviously like a tragedy that happened. It's going to be a big thing in the, in, the, in the news for a while. You guys get to move on with your lives, but like, this is a reality for us. Exactly. You know, so I'm just like, you want to have a conversation, but where do you want this conversation to lead? Like, what's what are the changes? What are the outcomes? Everybody always wants to talk, but I'm like, what's going to come out of that conversation at the end of the day? Always talk, but I need action, you know? Like, we need to see action. We need to things, see things happening. So that was, it was such a weird, weird time. It was, it was a crazy time. And I remember, like, my parents called me straight away. I think they just heard a shooting in New Zealand and completely forgot that I wasn't even anywhere near Christchurch. Mm -hmm. And were immediately like, are you guys okay? They're like, all my friends and family from, like, Melbourne and, like overseas were all calling um were all calling me just to see how um i was doing and yeah it, it just it just scared everyone and even now like i was in christchurch last year and i felt so iffy mm. because i don't know if it's because there's barely any black people there or now anyways but people literally will stare at you yeah every single time i've gone to christchurch there's always been something that's happened stare. that makes me feel othered and, and different this yeah and i was like i don't know if it's because i'm black with braids I had my long braids, sun was out, I was looking good, I was feeling good, <laughs> you know, and then I would like leave the Airbnb, we were staying out to go down to the supermarket because we were staying very central, and I swear to God, the minute I stepped out the door, whether the person was driving, whether that person was walking, whether they were on a bike, the necks were turning. I'm like, have you guys not seen a black person before? Why are you looking at me like this? This is weird. Like, surely you've seen a black person before. It's weird, like, there's no reason for you to be looking at me that way. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I've I've had this conversation with, like, my non-African friends. Mm -hmm. uh, more so my, my white friends. And they were like, oh, but how do you know they're not just looking at you because they're trying to appreciate your beauty? I'm like, who stares at someone for that long to the point where they're uncomfortable? You know, that's not really, that's not really, that doesn't really justify. If you're driving, your eyes should be on the road not me on the footpath like you want to die 
<laughs> I, I don't know, it's just, it's a lot of things just don't make sense to me, a lot of things don't add up and it just makes me really uncomfortable and I, sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to think about it, I don't want to talk about it, I just want to leave it, but it always, when you're black and you're Muslim and a woman, there's 20 million things you can't escape. Yeah, you, it's to the point where like you cannot ignore you it. You actually can't. Even if you want to. And yeah, I don't know, like I see people constantly want to talk and I'm like, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> What are we solving? Nothing. It's just a, like I said, a feel good conversation that they want to have so that they can say, oh, I did my part in society today and just move on with their lives. Because mind you, nothing changes for them. Exactly. Yeah, I think living living I living in New Zealand as a, as a black person in the last, I want to say seven years has been eye opening for me. Well, like however long ago I started university. Um, that's when I really started to see the things. I'm like, oh, I really am black. You know, because like obviously in school, well, I won never had any issues with like people that I went to school with like a lot of Somalis that I'm friends with or like even my siblings would be like oh you know a lot of kids were racist to us da, da, da. I think I only had one experience and I don't promote violent but I whooped his ass <laughs> you tell him I who says to hey are you black or is it just because you didn't shower today oh. I'm sorry what? But anyways, we were kids, but that's intermediate days. But like, I never dealt with it. It wasn't until I started like I got a job and I started going to university and I got out of like my family yeah. home that I just I'm like oh people will really point that you are different I think they do less when you're a kid I don't know my experience anyways it happened to me less when I was a kid and then more so when I as I started to get older I'm like every day I'm reminded that I'm I don't look like you guys I don't need that reminder I can see <laughs> so let's just all learn to live together like peacefully without having to point out people's differences but they can't and New Zealand has a big issue with that we don't talk about it though no. We'd be really talking, don't talk but I don't know it. what we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's always a lot of debates. There's always like politicians be talking about this and peace be talking about. That. I'm like, okay, but how does this? How does this help the wider New Zealand rather than not rather than? But I mean, like, how does it help everyone else? Pretty much, you know. Like, mm. like I said, a lot of conversations are being had at the expense had. of who as well. That's what I've been trying to figure out for ages. I'm like, Kiwis love to talk, but I don't know what's being solved. And I guess a lot of different communities can say the exact same thing. Because I don't true. know who's actually benefiting from these from these conversations. That is true. That kind of, you talking about your experiences being a black Muslim woman of colour kind of reminds me of this quote where, I actually don't even know where I got this quote from, but I just remember <laughs> reading it and I was like, hmm. It resonated. Yeah, it resonated. And the quote is, may we stop seeing ourselves through the eyes of people who never saw us. And I, yeah, it just it really hit me different because I think, especially growing up, I saw myself through like a very. What does that mean? Like, like from from your experience, what does that mean? How did you how did you see yourself? How did you see yourself then, and how do you see yourself now? Like, what changed? I think I just started like decolonizing my mind. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I started decolonizing myself. And I'm not saying I'm not 100 percent there yet. Like, to be honest, when I think about my relationship with Somalia, obviously I'm a very proud Somali woman. Yes. But it's a very complicated relationship. I and I don't haven't found many people or places to kind of talk about how complicated that relationship is with. Because it's either if I talk about it with non-Somali folks, I'm really worried that they'll just take that that will just affirm that negative extreme. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if I try to talk about it with Arwen Hai, well, I think they've been away from home for such a long time. They've like not romanticized it, but or idolized it. A little bit of both, truth be told. Yeah, probably um, a little bit of both. But my parents are like that as well. My dad left. My dad left when he was thirteen. Wow, that's it so. It was young. like living in Qatar from the age of thirteen till two years ago when he moved to Melbourne. So he would like visit back home, but he's never lived there since he was thirteen years old. And my mum left when she was she, my mum left when she was eighteen. So like neither of my parents have actually lived back home since they were teen and preteens. 
and then but they the way they ride the way they ride for Somalia or Somaliland it's it's you'd think they never left and the way they speak the language and the way they know so much about the culture I'm like where did that change with us <laughs> you know what I mean like what I don't know but yeah I, even though they actually never lived there they romanticize so much about it and they love it and that's the one place where they're always like I can't wait till you guys will grow up because that's where I'm going yeah <laughs> my kids are like we're just waiting until every single one of you all six of you are married then we're just going back home because we've done our part <laughs> like, we've, we've done our part you know like we've raised you guys well you're married you, you have kids we're going back home <laughs> to live our lives now <laughs> and I'm like oh, by all means go ahead do, do what you need to do you know um, but yeah I don't know like Somalis my, so my parents whether they live back home or overseas they just I mean do you see how involved your parents get in, pol- in pol- so my politics oh so they can't even sleep. vote yeah. <laughs> they can't even vote from overseas <laughs> and they be getting so involved I'm like I can't relate because I don't know anything I can't tell you anything about I... Somali what's <laughs> my politics I'm like I can't. besides that one nitty little gritty things that I see here and there on Twitter I'm like I don't don't know anything that's going on back home I yeah do not understand when was um the last time that you went back home because I've actually never been to Somalia before and I think when I do oh, go yeah, it will yeah, 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 yeah. crystallize a lot of things for me but I've, yeah, I've never gone I feel like but you have hey several times um and just going, talking about you, I think you're going to, especially going at this age, I think you're going to both hate it and love it. You won't know what I mean now until you go. You're going to mm-hmm, come out thanks. loving it and also hating it. Because you, you'll understand. When you go, inshallah, you'll understand, and you'll, you'll understand what I mean. Um, we, so when we lived in Qadr, we used to go every summer. Every summer holidays, we used to go for about three weeks. Because like my parents, my, parents my, my grandparents were all alive by then, so we'd all visit. And my parents, parents were all still living back home. This is all before everyone moved away. And then when we moved to New Zealand in 2004 because, God, you know how far I moved to New Zealand is from the world. We were like, yeah, we're not going back home for a very long time. So we came to New Zealand in 2004 and then we didn't go back until 2009. Wow, that's solid five years. Yeah. Mm. To us, it's a lifetime. That's forever. <laughs> to us, it's a long time. Um, but even to my mum, was a very long time. Um, so we stopped at Qadr and then we went to Hargeisa and then came back to Qadr. Then came back to New Zealand. So we've, we've lived in, we've lived, well, I can't really say we've lived in Somalia. We've visited, but we haven't really lived. Oh, we were there for eight, nine months. Of course I've lived yeah. there. How did I forget that? <laughs> Blocking it. Um, so we've lived in Qatar. We lived in Somalia. We've lived in New Zealand and we've lived in Australia. Honestly, yeah. Like you've <laughs> lived so many different places. You've I gone actually, to so many. I actually forget that all of that has happened. <laughs> I honestly forget that all I've actually seen and experienced all those things because I've lived in New Zealand for so long that I'm like, oh, this is all I know. You know, I actually forget that I have different parts of my life that I've actually lived. That's so, that is wild. I want to talk about a particular part of your life um, because you do model from time to time. I do, I do. (laughs) And I would love to talk more about, as a model working in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a country where... Eurocentric beauty ideals are like number one. Mm-hmm. What has that been like? So when I, because I was scouted when I was at, at uni off my Instagram, you know, when I had no life and I'd constantly post. Um, my one of the agents at my agency like hit me up on Instagram and was like, you know, hey, are you interested? Da, 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 da. At first I said no, because I honestly had no interest at all. But then she was so persistent that I was like, okay, cool. I guess I could, you know, give you a five minutes and you can try to explain how all this works and maybe I'll see if I like it. So she called me and she explained and she gave me the rundown and everything and I was like, you know what? You're in uni. You have a shit part-time job. This money could be good. And that's all. That, I'm not even gonna lie. 
That's why I took up modeling, just to financially get me through uni. Honestly, not, fair enough. Not because I'm like, oh, I want to be a model. I hate half the photos that take of me. <laughs> That's why I never upload anything. Um, so then, you know, it started off like that. And then I, like I said, hijab on, hijab off. That, that's always been me. So when they first approached me, I they flew me out to Auckland to, like, meet me, um, which was really nice because they were, they were really nice ladies. Um, but they were like, so do you hijab full time? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, we would really love you too. I think it would be really great for your image. Oh, <laughs> again it's this whole con- like, I just had to have this whole conversation be like listen if I'm gonna wear the hijab full time so if I'm gonna wear hijab in photos then I have to I personally again I'm not talking about any other people that wear hijab I'm talking about me I feel like if I'm gonna be wearing hijab in photo shoots then I have to be wearing hijab in my daily life I can't give you this one image and not be who I am like if I don't wear hijab all the time why am I gonna be wearing it in my photos just so you can get more bookings or more money out of me you know they for about a month and a half, we're trying to convince me. Be like, please put on your which. If please I was, put on your hijab. If I, was, if I would tell my parents, they'd be like, they were doing the right thing. <laughs> they were great women, you know. But I'm like, no, you don't understand where they're coming from, man. You don't understand where they're coming from. But they basically like spent such a long time trying to convince me to model with hijab, and I was like, no, I'm not comfortable with that because I don't want you making money of something that means a lot to me. And if I'm not fully 100 percent in it, then I'm not going to do it. And so I was, yeah, like, like it's abs- not like a accessory that you can just like no, but you just know, take like, on and off. You're different, you know. You get more bookings and people want diversity and representation oh, for I all the wrong reasons yeah i hate none that. of them none of them are hijab wearers none of them were muslims so i could not understand where this obsession was coming from um so basically i had to like sit them down and have a conversation and be like listen i don't wear hijab all the time and for that reason i'm going to model without a hijab okay so you guys have to accept that or um, i can't i can't sign anything and so they basically agreed and um well, took off from there. You know, I started like getting bookings, started going shoots. And this entire time, I like from the first shoot that I had, I was not comfortable. I'm never, Amal, I am never comfortable at a photo shoot. If you see me uploading anything in the future, just know that I was not comfortable. I don't know what it is, but the way, so see, you and I are talking now, yeah? You're yeah. looking at me, right? Yeah. I don't feel uncomfortable. Mm. When it's a non-black person or especially or a non-Muslim person and I'm the only person of color in a room and they're all looking at you and I get that we're all like doing a photo shoot, but I can tell the difference between people looking at me because they want to fix what's um, like fix my hair or fix my clothes or when they're looking at me because they've never seen someone like me before. And yet these are people that claim to have so much experience in the fashion world. I'm like, if that's the case, you shouldn't be staring at someone like that. Like, oh, I, I, I honestly, I've tried to make some of my friends come to shoots with me just so they can see what I'm talking about. Mm. And I did end up taking one of my friends, um, end up taking one of my boys, Ziffer, with me, um, who's who's Māori, and he was like, yeah, that was, <laughs> that, that was not it. Like, why... Do they constantly keep looking at you like that? I honestly don't know how to explain it, but it's the most uncomfortable thing ever. And not only that, it, it gets worse. Aww. So like you, you know, they're like obviously trying to get to know you. This is the hair, this is the stylist, whether it's clothes or hair, makeup artist, the photographer, the owner, everyone that's involved in a shoot. Because you're there for like eight to wait, like five to eight hours max. Um, on on a day if it's a long shoot they're trying to get to know you you know like make conversation obviously because you can't just be walking past each other without saying words but it's just where the conversations lead that made that i'm just like mm. so i i can't name names but i was at, no no i would never I, want you i to. want to <laughs> you don't understand i want to call out so many people um so i was at one of new zealand's you know a well-known designer's shoot i was doing a shoot for her and it was at a time where i had short hair mm-hmm. so when my hair is dry it would go up into an afro and these people always tell me to come up 
always come to always time to come to a shoot with my natural hair. Right. So that's it's part of the just um, industry standard practice. No, it's the industry standard practice for black women, which oh, we'll get right. on later. Which we'll get on later, because they don't have the same for um for other models that I've worked with. It's not the same for them. But anyway, they told me to come to a shoot with my natural hair and no makeup. No makeup is the standard. But I, I was like, cool. So I went. I had no makeup and I had my natural hair. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I shouted before I left the house, and on my way to the shoot, it dried. So right. By then, it was like in a little mini afro. And so the hairstylist comes in, and I'm sitting on the chair, and I'm like ready to get my hair done. Um, and then so she, before she even touches my hair, which I'm 100% fine with the stylist touching my hair, before she gets anything to do with my hair, the owner, which is the woman who owns this brand, comes in, and that's, her, you know, this is her, my first time seeing her and her first time seeing me, so it's our first time meeting. Before she even says hi, how are you? Like, she's like, oh, what a lovely wig you have, you have on today. Oh my god! And I was like, I, I could not even respond. Well, like, I just looked at her. I was like, I, I just oh did. Oh my god! And then the hairstylist starts touching my hair. I'm like, okay, so she's gonna... It's really awkward at this point, by the way, because we're just making eye contact and the hairstylist is just touching my hair. It's so weird. It's so weird. Oh. And so the hairstylist is like trying to get a feel of my hair. And then this woman, the stylist, goes, oh, you don't have the same texture as all the other Africans. Oh, my God. All in the spam of a minute. Oh. My mind. <laughs> I, when I tell you I wanted to evaporate, I didn't want to exist. I did not want to be there. I just wanted to vanish. That's so culturally unsafe. Like I, that's old. Oh, that How so is bad. it? Like as a hairstylist that's supposedly been to France for fashion show or um, London for fashion show, you know, like how are you saying that your hair texture is not like the other Africans? Oh my God, we're not a homogenous group of people. We don't all have the same hair texture. Have you ever been left so speechless that you just you literally don't say anything? You just look. All you can do is just look out of frustration and shock. That was me. And that's when she introduced herself. So I'm like, oh, Grace, you guys spent a minute insulting me and now you're introducing yourself. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that that was that was number one. Um, and then again, I was working with another stylist. <laughs> it's always the people that actually own these brands, by the way. These stylists are the people that own these brands. So it's not like I can say I was working with this stylist and name this person without having to worry about the actual brand. I have to name the person who owns it. And obviously people are going to know who the brand is. But I was working with another stylist and she was asking me like, you know, hey, where in New Zealand did you grow up? Are you from Wellington? Because they don't often know where I'm, uh, whether I'm from Auckland or Wellington or from anywhere else. So it's, it's normal to be asked, are you from outside of Auckland? You know, so I was like, yeah, I'm from Wellington. And she was like, oh my God, I grew up in Wellington. I used to live in Wellington. So I was like, cool, guess we, we've got something to, you know, relate to, we can talk mm. about. And so she was asking me like, where in Wellington are you from? Where did you grow up? And I was like, oh, I used to live in Nainai. And I did my primary intermediate and like first two years of my high school out in, in Nainai. And she was like, oh, so you're from the ghetto. Oh. I was like, what? It's like, Nainai is not a ghetto. Why would you say that? And she was like, oh, it's the hood in the whole of New Zealand. In- whole of Wellington that's where the real ghetto is so you must really know how to look out for yourself I'm like what are you talking oh about that's, what are you talking about that's not what New Zealand is like well not my experience anyways and then came the part where we were doing a video for her clothes so I pretty much I had to walk from one end of the room to the other end and she stopped me halfway and was like listen you told me you were from Nine. if you're gonna walk I'm gonna need you to put the hood in your walk and I was like that Oh my god. I was like, what does that mean? She's like, you know what I mean? And that's why she's doing this. You know, like that gang oh. the wannabe. And she's like leaning from side to side. I'm like, have you ever been to Nine Eye? Because I've 
I've lived there and I've never seen someone walking like that. I don't know what hood you're talking about. But she kept making me want to redo the video because she's like, it's not hood enough. I need the hood. I need the, I'm like, I am always so uncomfortable. And I don't, and I honestly don't think it's, I mean, I know for a fact it's because I'm black. Not even the fact Absolutely. that I'm Muslim. Not 100%. even the fact that I'm Muslim because my hijab is not on. And if your hijab's not on, then they don't know where, what religion you belong to. But at 100%, every, everything that those people, uh, anything to do with the fashion industry in New Zealand have ever said to me is all because I was black. I was at, I was backstage fashion, fashion week 2019. And there was another guy who I eventually became friends with a couple, few years later. Um, who is Nigerian, he's black, roughly my height, maybe a little bit taller. Just for context, my head is very, very tall. Oh yeah, I'm 5'8", <laughs> honey, I'm 5'8", that's me not wearing any shoes, so with heels I'm like sky high. Um, so he's like roughly my height, maybe a little bit taller, but the thing is, the difference was, one, he's a man, and two, I'm a woman, right? And he's a whole lot darker than me. You can, if we stand next to each other, you can see the skin complexion difference, you can see it, right? He has dreads. I have my hair in a ponytail. And so I'm sitting backstage waiting for my call time, which is, you know, to go get my makeup and hair done. And then this woman comes, sits right next to me. She must have been someone working in backstage or something. I don't know what her role was. But that guy that I'm talking about, she had just seen him before. And she looks at me and she's like, oh, how nice of you and your brother to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? I didn't even say anything. Before I could, I could even respond, an Asian boy who I love, he's a very well-known model and a photographer. I don't, don't know if I can say names, but people love him. And I am so glad he was there because before I could respond, he looked at her and was like, what, what is your problem? How do you know they're even related? And he looks at me, he's like, do you know that guy? And I was like, I've never seen him before. <laughs> and he looks at her and he's like, don't be assuming things. And he basically called her out on the spot. In front of everyone, I know, I I don't know if he remembers, but if I see him again, I'm going to give him a fucking big hug and be like, thank you so much for that, because I was too shocked to even respond to that. Oh my gosh, now that's solidarity in action. I know, it was but, so sweet, oh but the goodness. assumption, oh, and I think the other thing was because he had a gap as well, oh. <laughs> and so that was my brother. <laughs> I've oh never my met God. him, we've never spoken to each other, and on that day, I didn't see him then. It wasn't until like hours later that I saw him. I was like, oh, that's you she's talking He looks nothing like me. I look nothing like him. Oh he's my, my brother. Gosh. That's my brother, apparently. <laughs> oh my god. And that's just, that's literally, I'm not even joking about it. That's just touching. That's just the tip of the crazy oh things gosh. that people Can you please like. go back to the point you were um, saying about uh, black models and their natural hair? Like oh, coming to see yeah, with their natural yeah. hair? So it recently. Um, came out and i was wondering this for a very long time as well but have you noticed that with black models you barely see any with long hair well that's true really dark, they yeah. all have the the buzz, buzz cut, cut right yeah and that's because designers or stylists whoever's making the call tells them that if they want a job they have to chop their hair off because their hair is too difficult to work with no, no way lie. that's why they all don't have hair and obviously these young women want to make a living now don't blame them i do not blame black models at all because if you want if that's the career path that you want to go down obviously you're gonna do everything you want to to make it so that's what they tell them oh my god that if you want more shoots if you want to be you know if you want more jobs if you want to be on the runway more often your hair gotta go we can't work with it we can't style it we don't know what to do with it and black people have been saying for the longest time cool if you can't work with it that's totally fine hire black people hire our own people that know how to work with our hair and they're like no so they when when they touch my hair people that i've worked with everyone's shocked and i don't know it may it grosses me out it really does shocked because they're like oh it's it's not what we think uh, oh my god the texture's so different i'm like you don't say that don't say that and then they look at me like sorry was that inappropriate and offensive yes 
obviously. The fact that you would ask it, then you know. But yeah, this is a big thing where people tell black models that they can't work with them if their hair is a certain texture. Oh my god. So they literally make them chop it off and, and keep and they make sure they keep it at that at that bus cut. I, honestly, I'm really shocked right now. I'm really shocked right now. I'm like in real time processing. You this. can count on your hands the amount of model the amount of black models that are out there that actually don't have short hair. Every single one of them out there has short hair. And then I'm just like if you're a stylist, if you're a makeup artist, you need to learn 20 million different arts or different ways of doing makeup and that's the same for a hairstylist but they don't want to put the effort into it so instead they're just like nope your hair you has just, to go you just chop your hair there's obviously, obviously the solution life more convenient for us and more easier for us forget you and forget your identity forget how you know your appearance do what makes us happy and people gotta make a living so i do understand why they do it but it's the fact that they tell them and it's a requirement in some places as well that they can't have long hair that's just like another example of how like whiteness just overrules mm. everything like even if you're in the camp of i don't see racism blah 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 you cannot deny the reality of whiteness in our world and that's just one example of it and that honestly i'm quite shocked right now to be honest but the fact that we're so centered in our whiteness like anything outside of that is yeah. an inconvenience mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. too hard I hate it. Oh my gosh. But you know, it's just like you're outnumbered and you're like, can I say these things? Can I, can I call someone out on this? It's, it's, it's a very uncomfortable position to be in when you're the only person of colour in, in a room. Exactly. So you know nobody's going to have your back and you're going to get blacklisted so quickly. You know, like, it's gonna it's you that's going to be out of a job for calling someone out on their bullshit, not them. And that's the unfortunate reality, eh? Oh it, oh, that's why I hate my... <laughs> I hate it because I hate being uncomfortable to that extent. And I'm not somebody that gets uncomfortable often. But they... <laughs> They, oh, they make me so uncomfortable. The amount of questions there. They think they're making casual conversation, but it's just like, it's not. <laughs> you don't ask, you don't ask your friends these questions. You don't ask other models of color these kind of questions. So why are you asking me? Yeah, why do you think it's okay, yeah? Oh, that is so much. That is a lot to so process. Much. Um, That's so interesting that you've brought up speaking up because like to me, when I, in all my time of knowing you, you've all, you always have opinions, like you never... <laughs> I have a big mouth, I can't shut it. I can't shut it. <laughs> you always have something to say and like you use like your voice in real life but like on social media, just in every sense. Yeah, You well, use your voice to talk about things that people don't often talk about. You use your voice well, you to... you gotta have conversations that are uncomfortable. Because I don't know, like if you don't bring it up first, people are just gonna tap dance around it forever. And I... <laughs> I remember when I was first radicalized, <laughs> was on Tumblr. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's where it all started for me. When I was in year, I want to say year, year nine or year 10. That's when I, God, Tumblr opened my eyes to a lot. <laughs> um, and so I'd be on there and then I'd see all these, you know, social issues, whether it's regarding African-Americans, Africans, Muslims, Arabs, anyone, like people of color in general. People would come on there and post all these. Um, that's where I used to get my news from as, wow, as a kid so in high school. And I'm not even joking. I never used to watch the news because I was an interested in a reporter sitting there giving me all the boring things i wanted to hear things from people that were actually experiencing it and so i'd always go on tumblr and i'd see all these issues and i was like oh my god that's you know like there's nothing that i can physically do but i'm going to share it so other people so you know somebody who there may be someone out there who can actually help you who can make a difference and so you know like i said it all started with tumblr and i used to go on it a lot so when i was in year 11 i, I convinced my school friends to make accounts which was a big mistake because <laughs> um, I later found out that I actually like my Tumblr very private. Um, but anyways, I, I, ma I managed to make them sign up and they all got accounts and in high school, like majority of my friends were Maori people. Maori were like a few Pacific Islanders. Um, great people. I'm still friends with them until today. Um, and so they, you know, they all joined and we'd all go on there. Now, what they would share and repost 
and what I shared in repost were different. Because I'd been on I'd been on Tumblr for a while at that point, so I I, I was You were in there. I was speaking, <laughs> I, I was screaming things, you know, I, I was saying and they'd come on there just, you know, pretty pictures, nice music. They just loved it because that's they thought that was all that. They were, they thought that was it to Tumblr. And so they'd see my posts and I'd constantly be screaming about a Muslim person being mistreated somewhere in the US or something that happened to me um, as a black person. And so then this was in year 11 and by year 13, they were like, you know, it's amazing that you're always on, on social media just talking about social issues. Like, do you not get tired? And I was <laughs> like, no, <laughs> it's what fuels me if anything, you know? So they're like, you know, you're always talking about it, whether it's Asian people, whether it's Pacifica people, whether it's African people, you're always, always talking about different issues. And I was like, well, yeah, I feel like I, if I don't, then who, well, not necessarily who will, but I'm like, if I don't, then I, I won't know, I won't learn, you know? Mm. So fast forward, a few years later, they all started, this is obviously when we all went our separate ways and got different jobs and, you know, went to different universities and they were like, I didn't learn about my culture until I came to university. I didn't get into the Pacific or Maori community until I came to university and there were clubs for that for us. And they were like, the fact that you were talking about social issues when we were in year nine and I'm only learning about it now? They're like, that's puzzling. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> I was like, I'd be out there. But I try to explain to people, it's most, I swear, everything that I talk about and why I talk about it, it's because I'm a black person. Everything stems down to me being black and Muslim and uh, the two things that, it's not, I don't want to escape, but I can't escape you know it's literally like my identity so like if i'm in new zealand but if anything happens to a muslim person halfway across the world it hurts it ha well loki happened to me too you know that's what i mean it's like, our community it's, 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 it's really, our people it's really sad and i'm just like i don't know if people don't have that sense of community um but like anytime i hear something bad happening in muslim countries or anything bad happening to like african or black you know like africans or like black people i feel so bad and i'm like i you know god i wish i could take your pain away blah 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 and they're like, I just find it so, um, like, so shocking that they're like, all these years later, they came to me and were like, yeah, you were radicalized a long time ago. <laughs> you were different a long time ago. And I was like, well, I don't know, like, as a, as a, as a Pacifica person, as a Maori person, I'm shocked that you weren't. Because, and, and where you live, I'm surprised you don't feel that way, you know? Like, you, the way, in my school that I went to anyways, there were more Maori and Pacificas than, than Pākehā. But we, they still weren't treated as well if that makes sense like if Maori boys were like automatically put into football groups rather than worrying about their academics because they were good at rugby you know mm. so I'm like how did how, and I'm like I look at them I'm like how did they not how did things like little things like that not push you? and they're like because we didn't care about it back then we didn't notice it back then but we do now and I'm like I don't know I feel like everything well everyone has their different catalyst point right like for you it was tumblr um, and to them, for them, it was going to university. And I was going, yeah, and for your friends, it was going to and university. And I was like, I'm so glad you actually got there eventually anyways, because one of my friends, one of my really close friends, um, to put it kindly, was a self-hating self Māori. Mm. He hated the fact that he was Māori. He was embarrassed about it. He automatically assumed everything. He, if you knew him back then, and if you know him now, you would not think he thought that he, you would not think that was what he used to think. Internalized racism, it hits he's different. He's a whole different person now. And, Every time, you know what he says to me? He's like, I'm so glad you stuck by me. I'm so glad you were my friend even when I used to talk like that. I was like, I'm not going to judge you for talking about your people like that. That's your people. That's your community. If you want to talk bad about them, you talk bad about them. If you're going to say good, you say good. Because God forbid someone tell me to shut up if I'm talking bad things about some other people or good, or good things. I'm like, that's not my place to judge. But he's like, no, thank you so much. You know, like you were still my friend when I had a bad image of my own people. You know, everyone gets there in their own places. And like, that's what I, I feel to like we're not <laughs> raised in the world where you're 
brought up to like really love who you are and where yeah, you come from if you're different you right do. if you're different there's not that automatic love yeah there. you have to fight really hard to love yourself and to be proud of who and you are and he eventually learned all that and i can't tell you because we're still friends i was with him yesterday He's like one of my close friends, and I'm like, every time I look at him, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the person that you've become. He's like, thank you for being my friend. He's like, thank you so much for sticking by me. And I'm like, I would never leave you, first of all. My life would be boring. <laughs> but yeah, I like, I'm like. i sorry, um, to go back to what we were saying, I feel like as a black person and as a Muslim and a woman, you just have to be 20 more million times more aware than others because, my God, do we have problems coming at us at like 20 every direction and I'm like I gotta be able to defend myself I gotta be able to speak up for my people I have to be able to speak up for myself so if I have an issue with anything I'm gonna say it I'm proud of you if I have you know? <laughs> I'm so proud of like, you like I'm not afraid to shake the table good we need people to be shaking the table honestly I, don't know. I mean sometimes it's more of knowing when to pick your battles because like I said when it comes to like modeling I can't say shit and that's legally even within my contract Mm. If I have an issue, I have to go to my agency and I can't say anything to, to the people there directly because then it looks bad on them and I'll get fined or fired or whatever. Like, there's so, it's too much. So, obviously, in those kind of settings, yeah, I'm not saying anything, although I want to. You, you mm. don't understand. It physically burns me. Like, my skin hurts, but I'm like, pick your battles. But outside of that, I'm not keeping my mouth shut and I'm never going to. <laughs> I'm so proud of I, you and I you can't. never should and you never should and if you're listening to this right now and you're like oh I want to use my voice a bit more too help us shake the table by all means help us don't shake the table be, I don't like I get that it's scary but I swear it's so rewarding it's so because when you stand up for yourself then God forbid say God forbid anyone say anything to you you not you're not gonna care you know but yeah um also because my mom raised me this way <laughs> it is part of the Somali nature, isn't it? You can yeah. never shut a Somali person up. No, but like even <laughs> even when we when I was younger and like I never took shit from like Somali adults. Till today I don't. Because a lot of people like when I went back to Melbourne, a lot of Somalis were asking why I'm not married or how come I'm not married yet. You know? And <clears throat> I different myself. So obviously I'm like, now would I want to be taking marriage advice from someone who's on their third marriage? <gasps> oh like, is that <laughs> is that so and then my mum would be like, get out <laughs> get leave. And obviously like, she'll call me back you can't talk to somebody you can't talk to your elders like that you can't and like i have to stand out for myself i can't i can't let people walk all over me i, I just cannot so i'm obviously always going to stand up for myself because 99 percent of the time unfortunately no one else will you know and a lot of these situations with things that you get into it happens to you when you're by yourself you know when you're not with people like you that can also be like what the hell's wrong with you like they're not yeah gonna you're not going to have your photographer friend with you all the time <sighs> mm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 I don't know, it's, I find it very, I find it, I want to say interesting, but I don't think interesting is a word. It's about interesting and also scary, like having to navigate life in New Zealand being black. And everyone's always like, how come it's always race related? How come it's always racial? I'm like, because that is, you make it race related. You made it all racial. And then you can't ask me. Like you, New Zealand, like being black in New Zealand is, it's almost kind of a joke. <laughs> Only you would ever describe it like that. <laughs> it's a joke because people will tell you to be proud of your background and your ethnicity, but then it's the same people who are going to use the N-word in the same breath. I've had people fight me as to why they can say the N-word. Grown-ass adults. Oh, I don't even use that word. Well, hey, even I don't use that word. But that's your... But that's, that's my That's decision. your blank person, Amel. You can, you can be like, I don't want to say the N-word and say it tomorrow. It's entirely up to you. You are well within your rights to choose whether you want to say it or you, whether you don't want to say it. Absolutely. And for me, I it's a no. I cannot have an Asian person, a Pākehā, a Māori slash Pacifica, 
tell me that they are well within their rights to use it because someone else has called them the n-word that that's that's their reasoning <laughs> and then it's and then it comes to why is everything race related these days how come we're so divided because you made it this way well this is the system <laughs> i don't know what to tell you you're not fixing anything you're not fixing the issue you're contributing to it and yet when people stand up for themselves it's always like oh how come everything's black and white you know it's just like you can't create an issue and then ask why it's there the system well, like, the system is really the problem it's the rigged, system it's is not really fair. part of the problem it's, oh. uh, it's, it's crazy but in saying all of that crazy shit like I do love being in New Zealand <laughs> <laughs> just just wanted to put it out there you know like I'm honestly so comfortable being here it's home to me it's, it's home and then yeah a lot of people when I meet them they're like so how long have you been here oh your English is really good oh I get that all the time too and, yeah you know, like you must be so grateful to be out of that war-torn country what was it like not eating food for days? I've honestly been asked all these questions. The audacity to ask these questions, that's the thing that gets me the most. To think that that's okay to ask. Like, no one has a filter. And, and you know, then... I've never been asked these by kids. Even in school, I was never asked these these kind of questions by kids. Well, people my age at that time were all kids. It's always adults. Coming in with their assumptions, hey? You should know better. You're, you're a father. You're a mother. You have a job. You pay bills. <laughs> How are you this dumb? It's so baffling sometimes. Like, it's... it's I, I, I love how you really don't you don't mince your words at all. Why? Um, why should I? It's things like why should I? You know, like people don't do it around me. I'm not gonna do it for them. Honestly, fair enough. Honestly, fair enough. It's... And it's honestly like the reason why I was labeled a bitch at uni, and I'm so hurt by that <laughs> because I thought these people were my friends. <laughs> um, but because like I. Like, like I said, I don't let people walk all over me. You know, like, I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm not going to let you walk all over my friends as well. So if, even if they are not confrontational people and they don't want to stick up for themselves, I'll stick up for you. And for that reason, people call me a bitch and would say that I'm not a nice person. Well, they just can't handle the truth. <laughs> and they don't know me because I am a good person. Yeah. I like to think of myself as a good person and I like to think of myself as a nice person. You absolutely are. It's, yeah, it's only when you wrong me <laughs> and that's when I'm... <laughs> I wish I could keep talking to you forever, um, but I do have one final question. Shoot. And if you were told that tomorrow you're going to be the president, oh wait, no, wait, we don't have presidents here, Prime Minister, stuff like Prime Minister of New Zealand, and you could change one thing, and it can be a structural thing, it can be a cultural thing, oh. it can be like a mindset or attitude if you could change one thing about Aotearoa to make it a more empathetic um and equal country what would your one thing be that's too many, <laughs> that's too many. but you could only pick one i honestly when it comes to new zealand will folk well my main thing would be making new zealand Aotearoa mm. You know, like, let's, if we want things fixed in this country, let's talk to the natives. To Tangata Whenua. Exactly. That's where it all stems from. I feel like everything bad that New Zealand has happened or goes through is because we did not treat Maori people. Pro well, I'm not going to say we, because I had no part in this. But, you know, like, they weren't treated fairly. They weren't treated equally. They had so much taken away from them. So if we're going to, before we focus on anything else, before we get started on anything, let's ask Maori people what they want. And obviously they're going to be asking for a lot because they, they've had so much taken away from them. And I want to give, if, I want to give everything back to them. I want to make New Zealand a Maori country again. Alhamdulillah. That's, I, I've always said that because I associate New Zealand with Maori people. Whereas everyone else is like New Zealand Pakia or New Zealand white. You know, people think New Zealand's a white country and I hate it when they say that. Like it's not a white country. It's not a white country. You can't say that. So yeah, I would focus and talk to 
all the tribes and see what they want fixed for their community see what what they want because i swear it would be a new zealand would be a happier country a healthier country a, a safer country had none of this happened and it was you know governed or like run by maori people so amen my name my is that offensive to say native is that a thing? i just say tangata whenua people, people of the land yeah the people of the land we have to pay respect because my god were they disrespected were they mistreated you know like we owe so much as outsiders and as pakia people let's not pakia people <laughs> they owe so much back to um back to tonga Tafenua. so honestly i would my main focus would be maori people that's amen, what i'm sister. i don't amen. know how i can word that but i it's like imagine imagine somalia was colonized today and somalia became a white country and somalis I, were the minority i can't even exactly imagine. that makes me sick yeah so i'm like i don't i how are you like how are you like, you're sick i can't imagine being treated as a second class citizen in my own country and i wouldn't want anyone else to experience mm -mm. it so if that's one thing i could change about new zealand it's that it wouldn't be new zealand it would be aotearoa This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.